Welcome to Missionary Mindset. This is the podcast where we do a deep dive on all things missions in East Asia. This week, we're joined by Pearl Family Garden. Pearl Family Garden is an organization that's located in Taipei, Taiwan, that mainly focuses on working with people who work in prostitution. It's really excited to get to chat with Cine E and learn more about what Pearl Family Garden does and how they reach people in their area. Would you mind introducing yourself and just kind of tell us how you got to Taiwan? Uh, my name is Cindy Yi. Uh, my family name is Tio. So uh, I grew up in Singapore and uh, I basically, yeah, born and bred in Singapore. And I moved to Taiwan 12 years ago. Oh, wow. So you've been here quite a while. So you work with Pearl Family Garden. Kind of give me a little bit of the history behind Pearl Family Garden. Um, so back in like 2006 or seven, my team leader, Tira Van Twillert, she's from Holland. Um, we're from the same organization. So she started this ministry. Um, at the time, she just wanted to like visit women who were, who were working in the red light district in Wanhua. Uh, for like 17 years before that, she was working in the church for like the homeless people. Um, it's called the spring. So uh, most of the people who went to the spring were men, but she could see that there were also like a lot of women in Wanghua and like she wanted to share the gospel with them. So she started by um, visiting the tea shops just with like a couple of um, local Christians. So at the time there was no center, there was no women's center. We just um, she just went and um, to the different tea shops and karaoke bars and stuff and like try to meet the ladies, try to talk to them. Mm. Yeah, try to like just build relationships and strike out conversations. And then in 2008, she started, a, uh, she rented a meeting place on the second floor and we were there for about 10 years. Um, and then now we've moved to like a first floor um, like a much bigger center, yeah, street in, in Wanghua. Yeah. So you actually have like a, a whole right, building and everything. Yeah, it's like two stories. Oh, wow. Uh, we use two stories of a four-story building. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really uh, interesting. Yeah, so the first floor is very visible now. So we used to be hidden, but now we're like out and open in the first floor. So we are also getting a lot of people um, walking in, like people from the community, not necessarily women, from the uh, tea shops and stuff like that. Just people walking in. Yeah, like they're, they're be, their friends bring them in. So what does the ministry of like Pearl Family Garden, what does that kind of look like? We, we really wanted to like share the gospel with the women in Red Light District. Um, but as we like have this center, we also realized that there are many other like elderly people or um, marginalized women like uh, income people in the neighborhood. So in that sense, we are also like reaching out to the community. That's what we want to do. Yeah. Um, So right now we have a women's ministry and we do different things. Like we have small group meetings on Thursdays and Fridays. And then um, we have classes. So like we have Taiwanese opera class. And before COVID, we were like, we had handicrafts class. We were making stuff. Or like we would have art classes, 
you know, stuff like that. So we had different like activities and all these activities were really just like a platform for us to get to know these ladies. Yeah. That's really interesting. So I know kind of like with the background of profiling garden, just from what everyone has told me is, and kind of what you have said with the red light district, with the prostitution, is sex trafficking really common in Taiwan? Mm, I think that the ladies that we serve, they're mainly Taiwanese and then from China. Like, so they're all in their um, like 50s, 60s and above. Okay. Yeah, that's the age group that, um, that we serve. Um, and I think it's a function of Wanhua being like a place where a lot of older people hang out. Like they're all, you know, senior citizens and stuff. So <laughs> gotcha. that's, that's the demographic of our neighborhood anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay. Usually I don't see like very young women. Hmm. Um, and now with COVID, we don't even see like many um, Southeast Asian women. Oh, okay. Now... That's, uh... That was actually one of my questions is a lot of the women that are in that industry, were they mainly Taiwanese or are there other ethnicities involved? Oh, so in Wanhua, it's mainly like the Taiwanese uh-huh. and women from China. And uh, then from women from China, there are also like um, different groups uh, because pre-COVID, they could fly in and out of Taiwan. So there were some people who were just coming in and out. And then there's another group that has already settled in Taiwan and it might uh, have like the Taiwanese ID card, you know? Yeah, so so there are more like residents here. So they're either like they got married and moved here, you know? Yeah, or like uh, they got married in order to move here and then they got divorced again. So yeah, so just different, I, I guess, yeah, everyone's story is different. That makes um, sense. Pre-COVID, we did see some women from like Southeast Asia, and I think they were brought in by mm, more like the organized, I guess more organized yeah. group. Because you would see um, that they have like um, bodyguards or people like, like, it's not so easy to have access to them. Gotcha. I know when people typically think of like the prostitution industry as a whole, they typically think of women only. Are mm. there men as well in that industry in Taiwan or not so much? Oh, I'm sure there's like in Taiwan there. Yeah, there's male prostitution, but we don't really see it in our area. Okay. Yeah. So not that I know of in our area. Yeah, so our area is mainly like the older uh, women, mm, not not even, I would say, like, very young women. Mm. Have most of the women that are in that industry, I know you said that they're older, are, were they kind of into that industry and the prostitution industry by choice, really? Or, mm. or typically have they been forced or kind of tricked into it, I guess? Oh, mm, I think, like, it's a different, like, different circumstances. So some people may have been, like, especially the older ones, they may have been in this business for a long time. So maybe like in the past, their parents, you know, might have sold them into prostitution. And these women would be like in their 60s by now. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. For the other, like for the younger women, like maybe the, the women like 
in the 40s, in their 40s and 50s, I think it's uh, mostly because of circumstances. Yeah, so like, uh, you know, like they got divorced or their husbands passed away or, you know, they have um, some debt that they need to clear and they want to like earn a lot of money um, or like some of them, they used to have like uh, normal jobs, but then because of uh, injuries, you know, some people like they, they might have gotten injured, like working as a health, what would you call them? Uh, like a healthcare aide in the hospital. Uh, yeah, yeah. They can't like do that kind of manual work anymore. Yeah. And then someone introduces them and says, oh, there's like this, you know, like quicker way to make money kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or like there are some women who, because of their like mental illness, like depression or hmm. other problems, they can't like hold down a normal job, you know, and then this becomes like a way that they can uh, make a living. Yeah. Gotcha. Is prostitution legal in Taiwan? Um, or is that kind of like a <laughs> maybe, maybe right like now, gray okay. area? <laughs> in terms of um, just the law, right? It's, yeah. it's illegal. So it's illegal to offer the service. It's also illegal to purchase the service. Yeah. But if one day in Taiwan, there is a designated sex zones, what they call like special areas, then it will be legal because that's the law right now that if it's in a special designated zone, it's legal, but no city, no neighborhood wants to be designated, yeah. you know, a sex zone. So that's why <laughs> right now it's all illegal. Gotcha. But we're told that um, the police, I, I think it depends on the police as well. Like sometimes they will not actively enforce the law. Hmm. Yeah. So it's really up to them. <laughs> that was so. That question actually came from from Dale, from the editor, because he had asked me to ask that question. Because he's like, yeah, his main question was, why don't the police stop it then? And I guess you kind of answered that, just because it depends on the officer who's on duty. I guess really at the time, whether or not. Yeah, I think it's also that. a very political issue. Hmm. Hmm. So. Um, I mean, I think the officers know where all the, you know, where all the ladies work. Gotcha. <laughs> so that when makes, the makes police sense. comes along, you will see like the women will, they will um, sometimes hide in the alleys. Hmm. Yeah. Will not stand on the street. So it really depends. Gotcha. I guess since most of the women are older, if they wanted to leave that industry, they would be allowed to at this point, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, leave, but I think it's um, really difficult for them, like, in their 50s and 60s to find alternative employment. Okay. Yeah, given their, like, limited education, their limited yeah. skills, and previous job experience. Just to go back more to, like, the ministry side of things. So, for the ones that accept the gospel message, how has that changed their lives or how has that their view kind of changed? Oh, I think it takes a very long time for them even to uh, accept Christ. Um, and then it takes an even longer time for them to like want to change yeah. their lifestyle. 
Yeah. I know that in the U.S. they say that a woman will leave, like on average, they'll have to leave um, the sex trade like seven times before they make a clean break. Yeah. So very often that that's what it feels like. It feels like they'll make like some progress and then they'll go back into it and then they'll make some, you know, they'll want to like make a change. They'll go back to it. Yeah. So like, it's like two steps forward, one step back. I feel like that's yeah. pretty normal. If we were talking about anything else, that'd yeah. be normal. Yeah, like any habit that you're trying to break, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of it just goes into kind of like you said, because it takes so long for people to really make that change. Um, a lot just depends on your relationship with them, really. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think it depends on like their relationship with God, like how much they trust that he can provide for them. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's not that they don't have money. It's just that they feel that they don't have money. They feel like they still need more. They lack that security and they want more money because they see that as security. Yeah. That makes sense. Have you, I mean, I guess for the ones that that won't accept the gospel message because there's always people that that aren't gonna just aren't interested have they been very i guess abrasive to the gospel or just kind of like eh, it's that's for you it's not really for me i think we have like a group of women who come like they like to come for the community um for the like fellowship but they don't want to really commit, you know, to Jesus or like to make a change in their lives. Yeah, I think there's a danger of that as well. Like people who, who just want to be a part of this, but they don't really want to commit. Like Jesus is my Lord and Savior and he can, you know, he can um, save me from my sins. Like I really need him. There's a danger of people yeah. stuck in that limbo feel like that's pretty normal to just kind of everywhere. I mean, even in the church, we experience that with, especially like where I grew up in the, in the Southern U S it's very almost country club style. Like, Oh, my family went to church. So I'll just go to church, whether I accept anything or believe it. eh, Maybe, maybe not, but I'll just go because that's what I was taught to do. Or that's what I've always done. I think people like that sense of belonging when it requires like some sacrifice then, you know, they're like, oh, but I still need this or I still need that. You know, I, I still want to do this for my children or I still want um, to provide. Yeah, I still want to like save up more money for my retirement, things like that. Yeah. I know you mm-hmm. said there's a small group or a group of, of women that come regularly that are part of the community. Has the ministry with the prostitution industry, has that been relatively I guess well received in general I think that uh, over the years we've tried to um, reach out and I think that now the community is kind of more diversified I'm not sure that there are like more women uh, or rather the proportion of women from the um, red light district I feel like hasn't really increased you know what I mean? Because, you know, people from the neighborhood are coming in as well. 
That's true. Since I didn't, I didn't really know that you guys had an actual center. That's interesting. So you guys aren't solely focused really on prostitution ministry anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. So it's kind of evolved. And also it's quite public, quite visible these days. So I think that um, people in the, like the women, like a lot of them recognize us. Yeah, they know about our center and um, like for Christmas, like every year we'll go caroling. Um, but this year, because of uh, the COVID regulations, uh, we, we can't really go into the yeah. tea shop. Like we have to, um, they require everyone to have like a, one of those yellow vaccination cards. And, okay. and we it just, it will be like quite difficult, like to go caroling. To actually get everyone. <laughs> this kind of, yeah. In the past, like when we went caroling, people recognized us and they knew who we were. Like mostly they knew who we were because they've seen us like for the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. That's really um, neat. I think, I mean, in that way, I guess it's well received. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. So I know you guys, because you said it's open to the public. Do you have a lot of people just randomly kind of walk in and show up and say, what's going on or do people in the neighborhood generally know what you guys do there? Oh, I think people on our street, they, they know what we do um, because we've been doing like uh, community outreach on the street as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Visiting like the shops on our street, the shop owners, the people in the night market. Yeah. So we've done that for like, I think more than a year or um, maybe almost okay. two years now. Yeah. So I think that like on the streets, people on our street, at least people know us. Yeah. Okay. Has COVID really affected you guys a lot? I know because I imagine at the start, especially since you weren't really allowed to have anyone come to your shop, I, I would guess for the most part, has it changed yeah. a lot of things? So basically because of COVID, like um, starting from last year, we changed from like a big group meeting to have like three small groups now. That's a good change yeah. because now we can get to know people like and build the deeper relationships, right? Yeah. You get to know people better when you are in a smaller group. During COVID itself, like we couldn't even have anything, right? We couldn't have any meetings. I think we were close almost two months or more. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And during COVID, we were just like, keeping in touch with the women through like line messages and phone calls. We couldn't like open up the center. Um, I mean, we went to the center like once a week to give out um, some food items, you know, yeah. for the, like the places where they work were shut down in mid-May and they only opened up like in mid-November. So for six months, like they were closed, have income. Wow. Know? Yeah, that would be very hard and difficult to kind of, I guess, really you're ministering while people, people are kind of in menis misery. Um, yeah, so we realized that, you know, we had to provide um, some emergency relief for them, like giving them some basic living expenses, like providing some food items, connecting them with like a food bank, with social services. So we realized that, yeah, we had to do a lot of other stuff as well. Yeah. I feel like COVID made a lot of missionaries, it kind of not weeded people out, but it made them get creative in the way that they did ministry. 
they couldn't just do the same thing they've been doing for, you know, 10 plus years, 20 plus years. They had to suddenly kind of think about how they did things and change things. So I know you said you, you guys gave food and helped provide. What are some ways that you guys drew people to the ministry in general? Um, I think during COVID, we couldn't really like reach out to people. So uh, we opened the center and people could see that, oh, like they come once a week to give out stuff. But mainly we were still helping um, the women that we already knew. Some, like we had a couple of people would like wander off the street and ask for help. Yeah, but mostly it was people that we already knew. So has COVID kind of been really the biggest challenge of the, the ministry as a whole? Oh, I think COVID definitely was a challenge in the sense that I think in the beginning there was a lot of fear and anxiety, right? Because we were in the middle of the district with like the most cases, right? Yeah. So we were like in the middle of the storm. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> so I think there was a lot of fear and anxiety. And there was a lot of like, I mean, not just for the ladies, you know, but also for the team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a difference. I guess like our Taiwanese colleagues were very cautious. I, I guess because also they live with their families, right? So I think they were much more cautious. Whereas like for the single missionaries, I think it's like for us, it was like, well, you know, we live on our own. It's, yeah, it's not like yeah. such a risk. So for us, like honestly, going into Wanghua was... Wasn't as big a deal. Yeah, we could probably take that risk. Away um, in Singapore from like February to May, so when I came back to Taiwan, it was like in the middle of the, I guess it was still at the, I think the second week of the outbreak. Yeah, I got back to Taiwan. So I already had my like vaccinations. So I really shouldn't be like worried. Like I should be the least worried person. <laughs> I think for me, I still had to overcome that, you know, that mental yeah. like block. Um, because like everyone tells you, oh, it's so dangerous. Like you're going into this area where, you know, the whole outbreak started and like, <laughs> and everyone's just very paranoid, right? And at the time, like when you told people you lived in Wanghua, like everyone was like so scared. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that was the situation. We had to kind of like overcome that. I think I had to overcome that. Like, and just like have, like kind of try to put things into perspective. And I think my team leader, she said it in a, I think she, she, she expressed it in a, in, a, in a good way. She said that, like, she felt like we're, we're called as missionaries to, to, to take certain risks while we're here. Like, if we want to be safe, then we might as well just stay at home, you know. But since we're here, then, you know, like, and it's really not an unreasonable risk, you know what I mean, yeah. taking. So she felt like, yeah, we should, yeah, take reasonable risks and pray about it and and like really be available for people in 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 this time of crisis right because yeah. like you, you you don't want to be like be absent <laughs> just as like <laughs> things get bad you know <laughs> it's like yeah. oh, where are the questions when things go south <laughs> <laughs> they all left yeah <laughs> See <ya>. yeah. <laughs> yeah and um and also she said to me like you know if we're not 
like on the ground, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what people are thinking, what they're worried about, what they're struggling with, you know, then yeah, we don't really know. Then we, we can't, we can't connect with them. Right. Yeah. We don't know what they're going through. I think during COVID that was, that was the biggest challenge. I definitely understand a lot of that. I mean, for, for our ministry, my family's ministry as a whole ministering to college students, the college students were for the most part, were more than happy to come hang out with us and still do stuff during COVID, but their families did not want them hanging out and doing stuff. And so we had a lot less people coming to hang out, um, especially during, in the beginning, obviously now um, that COVID's, you know, haven't had a case for quite a while in, in Taiwan. Yeah. All of our friends are back hanging out all the time. And now a word from our sponsor. Taiwan Missionary Fellowship is a movement of missionaries working together to reach Taiwan for the gospel through a network of mission organizations, church leaders, national gatherings, training events, and resources. For more information, go to tmf.org.tw. How do you getting back kind of to the ministry side of things, how do you prepare yourself? Cause I'm sure you hear lots of stories, lots of sad stories, or I mean, kind of depressing stories pretty consistently. <laughs> how do you kind of pre- prepare yourself for, for that all the time? I don't think you can really prepare for it, but I think you learn to give it to God. Hmm. Like not carry it around you all the time and think about it all the time. Yeah, like um, to some extent, I think you almost like have to compartmentalize, you know, like, yeah, like if it's my day off, I don't really think a lot about work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, it's, it's un, like natural, right, to say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to think about work on my day off. <laughs> but, but what I mean is like, you just have to give it to God and... Yeah. Like a lot of times we want to solve people's problems. We, we want to really do something for them, but there's only like so much we can do. Or like maybe they don't even want our help. You yeah. know what I mean? So I, we just have to like really trust God and ask him to take charge of the situation and trust that he can take care of our friends um, better than we can. And I think because... I've been in this ministry long enough to have experienced like a lot of um, cases where I just feel like um, God really takes care of people. He knows what they need and he really takes care of them. And it's might not be a way that like, it, will, it might not be a human solution, you know, it's not the way that I would have done it, but yeah, God's ways are higher than our ways. So I think like I can have that confidence, you know, that he's in charge. And, and I think that, you know, I've also seen enough people like they do experience healing um, as they come to know God. I think they really experience healing in like just their, um, their sense of self-worth or in their relationships with other people or in how they see themselves. Um, yeah, so I've, I've also seen enough like positive changes that I, I can be hopeful you know, I feel like that's really similar kind of theme to what one of the people actually on the past podcast that I did with Uva Maurer. And he kind of said that a lot of times people 
don't really want you to like solve their problems. He said, they really just want you to sit with them and their suffering. And that actually, when he said that, I actually thought that's really like really, really uh, mm-hmm. good and really poignant that most people don't really think about that when they're, when they're doing ministry, they typically a lot of times just try to share the gospel. And then if they don't receive it, they're like, all right, you know, I'll go to someone mm-hmm. else, I guess you know, building that relationship and sitting with someone when they're not in a good place and just trying to be a friend, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it requires, um, I think like it really requires you to kind of even um, empty yourself in some ways so that you can be present for other people. Because if you're like always busy and preoccupied and thinking about your own stuff, then you just can't sit with people, you know? Like, you can't, like, listen to them. You can't hear what they're saying because you're just... Or, or like, um, I know there are, like, a lot of well-meaning Christians. Like, they, they're they so eager to, like, say something or, like, give you a Bible verse or something. They really want to help you, but, like, they, they have such well and, like, good intentions, but they just can't put aside their own or whatever and listen to that person I like that's yeah. pretty common <laughs> yeah and then also like I feel that it's really hard to to sit with people when they're suffering like because we we want to avoid suffering right like we're always like trying to turn away from it yeah so I think there's always that temptation like oh I don't want to deal with it because it's like messy it's like painful and I don't like this person (laughs) or like you know I think there's like a part of us that always wants to like like we want to run away from it I think it's like we really need to like ask God to give us the right perspective Mm. yeah like just as we have received like grace from him and you know he's so patient with us and yeah, that's how we can show grace and patience to other people. Have you guys ever been or had any issues with people trying to threaten you because you're ministering to prostitutes or anything like that? Like, are there any, like, I guess, crazy stories that you have? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't think that we have crazy stories. Like, like people have this idea that, oh, because you're in a red light district, there must be, like, gangsters or money lenders or some or people like who come to the door but no we actually haven't had any like really big dramatic things happen yeah like I think a lot of Christians especially think of one what as this um terrible scary dark place you know yeah and they're like why do you want to live there and um, they kind of I I, I think has this, um, they have this idea that it's really it's really horrible. Um, so I have to tell people, oh, it's not so bad. Like, seriously, I've never seen, yeah, any, anything dramatic. Like, <laughs> What's been your biggest surprise while working with Pearl Family Garden? Because I know you've worked with them for a long time, so you can probably tell more than one surprise if you want to. But what's been one of your biggest, your, I guess your biggest surprise or biggest moment that you didn't think was going to happen? Oh, I think like God has such a sense of humor. Like we had this uh, lady, I call her Carnation. 
uh, I think she'd been coming to our center for like a couple of years. And um, she likes to play the lottery, you know, like they pick the numbers. Yeah. yeah. And she was always like, you know, thinking like which number and like what she can bet on, like which number she dreamt about last night. And I used to say to her like, oh, like why, like why, why do you like put so much trust in these numbers, right? Like how many times have you actually won anything? You know, and she said to me like, oh, it's just like, I'm just buying, I'm spending a little bit of money, but I, I'm buying like a sense of hope. See, for her, it was like that. And she said that, you know, like, it's not going to drop down from the sky, right? So I have to, like, make an effort and pick the right numbers. And I said to her, why don't you just pray about it? You know, I like, just ask God to help you. Like, like, if you need money for something, like, just ask him, right? And he might surprise you. And she said, oh, no, 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 like, it, it's not going to drop from the sky. And then, um, and then one day she receives a letter and um, you, you know like how the, the company that collects the money for the lottery, they also give out money for charity, right? Yeah. So she had, uh, she had a lot of like national health insurance money that she had to pay up. And basically this company as part of the charity paid on her behalf. Yeah, because she has like, um, like a low income set, um, status yeah so for her it was like really like oh like like it really dropped from the sky you know like um it was not something we expected and and you know she said like so many other experiences just like this like unexpected like we didn't know where the money was coming from and then um, there's like an anonymous donation somebody wants to like pay for her dentures things like that you know just like really you just like you, you just don't know and you're just like yeah like god you are a good good father you like you know who we need <laughs> yeah like i mean i don't know how i can't solve her problems you know i can't pay for all these things but but yeah i know that god can you know and he he, he he does it in, in like yeah the most unexpected ways that's interesting that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah i definitely i definitely agree with you i think god has a great sense of humor all the time i definitely see it often yeah um what are some things that with pro family garden that you guys have um experienced in the past or or even what do you think the future holds for pro family garden uh, I mean, we have talked about like starting a service on Sundays in our center so that, you know, men and women from the neighborhood can worship together. So that's something that we've talked about. Uh, having a community, like more of a community outreach, because I think we, we see that like a lot of the women, you know, they have people that they want to bring to church as well. And sometimes it's like, oh, like I can't bring this person because it's a guy. Uh, and also I think like, I feel like maybe in some ways they also need, like if they had more um, positive, can I say positive role models for how, uh, if they just see like what 
a godly manhood can be like, I think it will also restore some of their, I don't know, some of their uh, feelings or, yeah, some of their relationships, you know, some of the hurt that they've experienced before. Yeah, from, from men. I think if they could just see like what a good, yeah, what a good godly man can be like, or like even like what a good godly marriage can be like, I think it would really help them as well to understand more of God's design and God's restoration, you know, and God's plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That it doesn't have to always be like, um, like men and women can, you know, like <laughs> can have good relationships. <laughs> yeah. And people yeah. can have good marriages, you know. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our friends in Taiwan have I mean, when we had August, most of our friends have never been around like a baby before. Um, obviously working with college students is a little different, but a lot of the students were really amazed that we were still able to, you know, go out and do stuff and and mm. still have people over. And and it's just it's kind of funny just because like a lot of our friends now they bring us diapers. Used to they would bring us like fruit or like some other thing. <laughs> um, yeah. which is very normal for our Taiwanese friends. But now they like bring us a bag of diapers. Like here, mm. here's a large bag of diapers. Mm. I think it's just it's having good role models is just one of the many ways that that missionaries in Taiwan can share the gospel or just have even an opening to share the gospel yeah I think because so many people come from dysfunctional families like um their families of origin or their marriages were so bad like they just don't see how uh it can be good you know like they, they don't know how like a a good um family can can be a blessing yeah. yeah definitely agree with that one of my friends most recently that told me i was like oh you should do this with your family like they'd probably really enjoy it and he's like yeah we don't really talk like i talk to my sister but that's really it like mm. I, I was like but you live with them and he's like yeah mm. but we kind of live on different sides of the houses <laughs> it's like okay all right yeah. I, won't, I won't push too hard <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll wait till you yeah. tell me more <laughs> but, yeah, I definitely think through those relationships a lot of times, kind of like you were saying earlier, just building relationships with people is, is really the best way to share the gospel with people mm. where they see that you're not just going to leave them <laughs> if if they're not interested the first time. Like you're still going to be there with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, most of our ladies like take um like five years or more, I think, you know, to become Christians, um, or at least in the early days, it took a very long time. Yeah. I think now, um, some people like they they want to get baptized, like yeah, after one year or just two years, you know, they they're they're ready, um, to be baptized. But yeah, in the early days, I think it it took a really long time for people even to be able to like change their thinking. You know, um, yeah, because in the beginning. I think uh, like a lot of Taiwanese people, they think, oh, Jesus is just like another God and we can just have him plus, you know, our, <laughs> yeah. our old gods. And yeah, we'll just add him in. And yeah. Now, 
you know, it takes a long time for them to really understand what it means for that, you know, that there's only one God. Yeah. What brought you, this is kind of getting back to more about you, I guess, what brought you to Pearl Family Garden? Or what interested you in that ministry in the first place? I think I didn't know what I was getting into. (laughs) Um, when, When I first signed up for it, um, I knew that my team leader, Tara, she was starting this ministry. So I had come on a short-term trip to Taiwan and I met Tara and she told me that, oh, she's going to start this ministry to the women in the red light district. Yeah. And, uh, and for me, like when I was in Singapore, I was also doing some ministry in the red light district. Um, but, but reaching out mainly to migrant workers, to men, so it was like a completely different um, group of people, but it was like a similar, na- you know, kind of neighborhood. And I found, I, I guess I really, I felt really drawn to people on the margins. Um, I feel like they have that somehow through them, uh, I really see God's hand at work. Like just, I really experienced like God's grace I, I, I feel like I see it more, um, I, I experience it a lot more and I see their faith. Um, and I also see how like God really, like he really wants to, sh- you know, wants to give the good news to the poor. Yeah. yeah. And I felt like, oh, God was really calling me to be with people on the margins, like people who like maybe didn't have a voice or, who are neglected and um, yeah, facing discrimination in our society. Yeah, oh. so that's what I was thinking of. But I was not, I, I didn't know that, I, I didn't know that the demographic, um, that most of the people that we would be reaching out to were like so much older. I definitely, I, I wouldn't have guessed that in the first place. <laughs> that it'd been much older. Mainly, I guess that's probably just because like, always either in you know old movies or tv shows like you always think of they always show you know prostitution is like a young women or young girls Mm. or things like that so yeah yeah so i guess that's that's something i was definitely way off base on (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i guess kind of closing for my my final question what's so obviously mostly women are or all of your teammates are women, I would mm-hmm. guess, right? Yeah, we we have um we have a Swiss couple on our team, um, Steffi and Chris. So they um they so Chris does the community outreach. He does talk to the men like who go to the <laughs> tea shops and stuff. Oh, okay. I was gonna ask if there were people reaching out to the people who actually showed up. <laughs> so that that's good is there anything about pro family garden that i should have asked you that i didn't or anything about just the ministry as a whole that i didn't think of um i think we really want to mobilize the church in taiwan to reach women in other red light districts so uh we started the ministry yeah here in taipei but we also have a center in a center in uh, Jilong in the north yeah so the ministry in Jilong started with a group of volunteers just doing 
visitation with my team leader. Like they did that for almost like eight years before they opened up a center. And then um, in Taichung, we have a, we also have like a group of volunteers with all my colleagues, um, just going to visit women where they work, but there's no uh, meeting place yet. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think we really want to work with the local church and with Christians here to do this ministry so that we can replicate it in more places. Are there more than just obviously one law is the most famous red light district in Taipei. Are there more red light districts that you guys will end up reaching out to in Taipei? Or is that really the only big one that, that's really known right now? Uh, the other red light district is um, near Lingsen, Lingsen Beilu, right? But those are like very different, a very different demographic. The women are much younger. And the establishments are like very um, pricey and very, yeah. very nice. Yeah, like very nice is in like very, uh, what's the word? Um, like uh, higher end clientele, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they'll probably throw you out if you even try to go in. Uh, you know, <laughs> gotcha. kind of places. Yeah. So, um, so I think that's like a different sort of ministry. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so far we've been focused on Wanhua, uh, but we know that in other, like in other cities, like in every city, there is, you know, there are uh, places like, like Wanhua, but maybe not on such a big scale. No. Yeah. So we hope that, um, you know, by raising awareness that people will, will just notice, you know, all the people around them, like will notice like what's in their neighborhood and um, be willing to uh, reach out to these women. You know, and not say, oh, we want them to leave. We don't want this influence in our neighborhood. Yeah, but uh, to be able to say, okay, we really want to share the gospel with them. Well, that's it for this week. A big thank you to Pearl Family Garden and the amazing ministry they are doing in the Red Light District in Taipei. I'd also like to thank Dale, our editor, and Nelson, our producer, and you, the listener. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you get a moment, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It may not seem like much, but every little bit helps us tell more people about missionaries in East Asia. If you have any questions or would like to reach out, feel free to contact us at tmfccg at gmail.com. We'll be back soon. Until then, bye.